Welcome to the Football Podcast. Here we dissect Scottish football. Because basically, it's all we care about.
that was Finley Key even after all this is the football podcast and we'll dedicate that to all the mothers because of course it is Mother's Day now I've got a real treat for you today because what I've got is an Edinburgh Derby <laughs> in the maroon corner the boldest jambo since Eamon Bannon is Paul O'Neill <laughs> oh. in the green corner the most prolific hibby since Stevie Cowan Ian Calhoun afternoon so we will do a deep dive into e- the latest edition of Ian Calhoun's canon later in the show but for just now we'll go on to the games now Paul uh, Livingston 2 Hamilton 1 and before we talk about this I feel like that's all we do is talk about Livingston <laughs> do you want aye, to just get you... a couple of season tickets for their next season aye but aye um, couple of, some cracking goals in the game Aye, um, particularly uh, the Jets goal. That was a Emmanuel Jet. Thomas. Now, do you want to explain it? Because I'd never heard this before. What does that mean? Well, his name's his name's J Emmanuel Thomas, isn't it? So that's his initials. Ah, right. I didn't so, but he puts that, that's what it has on the back of his strip as well, oh, which really? I find a bit weird. But uh, his goal was an absolute uh, beauty. Um, but I, I think overall that game was was probably a bit probably should have been a draw. I, I thought looking at the highlights. Hamilton worked quite hard but they just never had that, that cutting edge and all of a sudden you're talking like last week I says Hamilton just when he the team that doesn't sort of seem to die but that's like five in a row we a win now Aye. and also the pendulum swung back to them toiling after looking like they were going to get themselves out I mean Ian Livingston were going great guns uh, and then all of a sudden they just kind of fell apart when they were the cup final uh, but they seem to have now cemented their place in the top six I, it's been it's been really impressive from them. Um, I I grew up in the same council scheme as Davy Martindale. Uh, I didn't know him very well. He's a bit older than me, but it's good to see somebody for Levy in charge of the team, and them doing well. They they probably deserve a better support than they get. Aye, it's funny uh, that eh? he's not really. It's never really sort of progressed on as the club has progressed, has it? No, no, they. They go into the Premier League just when you won your first title under Martin O'Neill. And so everybody in Livingston, virtually everybody supports Rangers or Celtic and they've never really been able to convert a lot of people um, no matter how well they're doing. But it's good good to see them doing well. They've got a wee half outside chance of catching Aberdeen now as well. Aberdeen, like, obviously, have Aye. been concentrating on Hibs, but all of a sudden, obviously, they're only like six points behind them. So, if they get them early doors in the split and they can beat them, it'll be it'll be very interesting. Good stuff, good stuff. And all just finally, Paul uh, Brian Rice again with a body warmer, looking tough. <laughs> he is. He just he's just constantly looking like he wants to weather someday, and I, I admire that. <laughs> Okay, Ross County won, uh, Hibs 2. Now, Ian, uh, this was a fucking eventful game for Martin Boyle. Aye, it was. Um, I'm not too used to Hibs winning up there either. It was good good to see Boyle on the score sheet again. And it's kind of mad that over the last four or five years, he's like the top man. And when he first came here, as he was on the bench, and he kind of when he got brought on Aye. Um, I, I, I must say myself like I'm not convinced uh, 
the penalty was a was a penalty. I, I think it's what Jose referred to the other week as uh, buying one. So you get in front of the guy. <laughs> you get in front, you know the contact's coming. So like there is contact, but well, I think Boyle knows what he's doing. Certainly, Yogi Hughes was not very happy with him um, after the game, particularly when there was the incident no long after it, which I think should have resulted in a second booking and a, a, a red card, like you know. But uh, also, um, Ian, I mean the. the that's, that's 10 away wins for Hibs this season. Aye, it's phenomenal. Um, how how well we're doing away from home with no fans there. I don't, recall, I don't really recall such good away form, to be honest with you. No, no, no for a long time, like I must admit. It's, uh, and Paul, we had uh, like four seasons in one match at the, the game yesterday. I it was absolutely bizarre. The first half was a glorious sunshine, and the second half, that it was like a, a thunderstorm, and then the, the pitch cut up really badly as well, which I think maybe affected the quality of the play as well. Um, I think I think overall, Hibs deserved totally deserved to win. They looked the better team, Aye. and they had better chances. But like the, the penalty is a the changing point, eh? so if the ref doesn't give that, then it, it's interesting how Hibs react. But I think Hibs getting the, the second one so so close after the first as well. It's great for like for their, for their point of view because they can just sort of sit on that and then try and hit on the counter attack when County have to open up. Well, they did, and obviously, um, I mean, County scored with their first shot on target, um, mm. the, the White and Mackay double act again, which I heard, <laughs> I heard Paul Mitchell describe as a spirited uh, thing. So that's quite good. But Ian, Kevin Nisbet scored his first goal in two months. I mean, how do you think um, Jakey's taking a bad reaction to what happened in January with the transfer and so on? I'm not sure what, what's going on with the laddie. Um, it's good to see him. It was good to see him back in scoring. Aye. And he's, he's, he's wanting to get back to what he was doing at the start of the season and all that other stuff. I'll just That will just kind of take care of itself. Eh? Aye, definitely. It's, um, but it's a good, it, was, I mean, it was a great three points for Hibs. And also the results um, in the Premier League anyway really um, helped Kilmarnock Paul because I think if if both teams had w- above them had won yesterday they were really struggling but uh, I think uh, Ham- if, aye, so Hamilton would have been what three ahead four ahead of them aye. and County like what five or six so aye, it's a it's a, a really good weekend for them that they never lost any ground because that was games in hand that these teams That's had over right, Kilmarnock yeah. as well so now they know what they've got to do and they've, they've not got to worry about teams having games in hand on them and stuff uh, and fine. I mean, obviously, not many games this week. Finally, Hearts two, Ian nil. Paul, um, obviously, you watched the game. Aye, I, similar to what I say most weeks. The first half was just fucking so one paced and lethargic, and then the second half is much better. But can he keep turning up? For like, well, we can in this league because the quality is not good enough. But turning up for half a game isn't he good enough? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, if we if we played with the same pace, it would have been four or five probably if we played with that throughout. And we're taking like probably substitutes coming on to kick us up the arse I mean we thoroughly deserved to win and it probably could have been a couple more if it wasn't for bad finishing and, and decent goalkeeping and it's another three points close to wrapping it up and getting I mean getting just what you ask you how did they set up under Hopkin what did they try and do um, they were very negative to be honest like they were five at the back and then a, a flat four in front of that just two banks did only really interested in coming out until it was two nothing and then they got a wee bit of joy, so it makes you wonder why the teams just didn't almost have a have a goal at, at Tynecastle. It's a free shot for them almost, because if you sit back, eventually they'll get something more than likely. 
but uh, it was pretty negative. But I don't know if that was maybe a hangover for what the the caretaker manager had been doing before him. Right. And he just because he's only in for a couple of days. Um, but I, I seen a few air fans online sort of really unhappy at how negative they were because mm. you need to try and get points, and you're going to lose again if you sit back and, and play like that. Uh, I mean, Ian, Hearts are obviously going to win the league. Are you looking forward to them coming back up, or would you rather see them going right back down? <laughs> ah, um, on one hand, it's good to have the derby back uh, when it comes, but um, I've never actually been that big a fan of that fixture. Mm. Can we, when your formative years were during that bloody winless run we had against them in the early 90s, it's every... Every derby's got a wee bit of trepidation about it, but on the on the whole, good to have them back. Eh? It's it's more interesting than Hibs against Motherwell or something like that. I think it is. I mean, you know, I'm not exactly Hearts' biggest fan either, but you know, it's better better in the league than knowing them dying. Just one other wee bit of um, football news this week. Obviously, we know we all these games. Derek McInnes gone, Paul. Um, I think it's I... inevitable, was it? I, th- I think it was inevitable it was going to go I was surprised at the time and I thought he would have got to the end of the season and then that would have been like a natural time to, to move on I thought I think what he'd done there he probably deserved the chance to see if he could reign in third I think because as, as much as it, it's, I think he's done a decent job overall but it's just went stale and it's probably time for change I think it, like the fans were getting that way with him as well but I, to, to get rid of him before the end of the season I thought was, was quite a bit of a surprise especially when they could have done it Maybe a couple of months ago, if that was the case. Right. And the bizarre thing that came out of this, I didn't realise this, Ian. Um, that Derek McInnes leaving Aberdeen means that Steven Gerrard's now the longest serving manager in the top flight. Jesus. Which is only, he's under three years. Aye. It's incredible, like, you know. But. <laughs> speaking of Sevco, um, we've obviously seen some scenes uh, since they won the league last week. Uh, which has now put the Glasgow Derby under serious threat um, next week. It's not actually been, I don't know if people realise this, but it's actually not been decided whether that game's going to go ahead or not. Celtic have had to um, erect bigger fencing and put on their security right now. And uh, apparently the post posts are only going to deploy on the day of the game if that's the case. But. Um, Ian, I know you're not the greatest fan of them, as, as I'm not. Um, what did you make of the kind of George Square scenes and, and all that that, that followed uh, the Safeco winning the league? And in some, in some ways, that was almost inevitable. Aye. Uh, when you had a team who's been largely struggling for for the nine years. On the other hand, it's extraordinary times, and of course they, they shouldn't have they shouldn't have done that, mm. and this the, the state apparatus shouldn't have facilitated it either. Aye. I think it's understandable how people would want to outpour their joy and their relief and whatever, especially in amid this year of hell we've all had. But a wee bit of common sense, they could have had their big party in July or August or something and probably had a better one I think there's probably a suitable date in July for them to do that like. <laughs> but, uh, Paul I, I mean I agree with what Ian says I've got no problem with them celebrating I mean it's a you know first title and, and all that kind of thing but and you know you're quite right to fucking say but 
you know, a lot of the people I heard the media commentary saying, oh, well, you know, Celtic would have done the same. Well, Celtic won nine in a row in lockdown and never done this. I wasn't even comfortable with Celtic celebrating it online at that time when people were dying every day, you know what I mean? It's, it's, I get, I think that there was almost inevitability that there would have been a, a celebration of some sort. And the, the fans themselves obviously take the blame. That's an, it's an individual decision, right? But I think it was always going to happen. You look at Liverpool when they won the league, Leeds when they got promotion, even St Johnston the other week there was a gathering at McDermott Park, right? I think that's what I think the club have to ask themselves is, did they do enough to stop it? And, and in my opinion, it's not even close to it. And they've came out since and Gerard said, Gerard gave it the, I can honestly say hand on heart, um, we've done everything we could. But there's, there's literally footage of him hanging out the changing the windows, celebrating. And like, that, does, that doesn't go hand in hand. Like, it's like when Hearts won the penalty shoot in the cup final week with Celtic, I stayed 15 minutes for Gorgie. Well, at no point. Wait a minute. At no point. Stop. Stop. Did you say Hearts won the penalty shoot? No, I say if Hearts had won. Oh, if Hearts. <laughs> right. Aye. I was sitting watching the penalties and I was like, at no point do I think if we win this, I'm away up to Gorgie. I mean, I'm sure people would have done. Well, I think the vast majority. Your wife doesn't allow you anyway, does she? Or? She probably would have been up there. I'd have to but, stop her going. You know? See, the thing is, Ian, it's like. The, the, the difference in context between this is when Hibs won the cup, right? And a lot of people, I obviously come from Edinburgh, I understand. A lot of people outside Edinburgh didn't understand what that meant to Hibs. You know, that fucking, you know, that was, you know, that was their Lisbon, you know? Fucking, on the, of course you're going to be on the pitch and all the rest of it. But as you see, the context is we're in the middle of a global pandemic and we know there are people out there who couldn't give a fuck about it for some reason. But, at what point do you know fucking look around you and go maybe this isn't the best thing to fucking be like you know I know that's on the one hand you've got the best thing that will have happened to somebody in the whole year and it's happening when when that's folk have got to react to that the difference was when Hibs done it we weren't there amid a global pandemic there was nothing nothing dangerous about it Mm -hmm. and nobody was going to get ill from us doing that either and just hope that nobody's passed on the virus uh, at at the celebrations in Glasgow Well talking of that Ian I mean I've seen you were having a wee few issues about getting your vaccine have you managed to get it yet? I was meant to get it on Friday Paul and then as I picked my car keys up they phoned me and said the fridge at the doctor's was fucked so they had to put me <laughs> off till this week Fucking hell I've not, I've not heard a single thing Paul of you No I've not heard anything I'll, I'll be a bit late I, I think the category I'm in but uh, no I've not heard anything I know a few folks that have had it though um, like my mum had both doses and stuff so actually starting to hear people get it now which is good because before it was almost like you were hearing other folk and I never knew anybody actually personally that was getting it, so it's good to see some people actually getting it now. Aye, it was, as I said to you, I was telling Paul yesterday, and I seen my mother on an outdoor meeting yesterday, it would be Mother's Day weekend, and she was going absolutely bananas about the fact that her, ne- her neighbour above her got a letter, and my mother stays in, um, in your house in Edinburgh, and she had to go to the vaccine to Ingolston. And the whole point was, the mother, my mother had said to her, Ken, can you not get your nephew to take you? But apparently this woman is so big that she can't even fit in the car. So she's like fucking gone bananas about this. Oh, yeah, people they didn't understand that. And then she pauses and goes, anyway, they sent a minibus for her to take her to Ingolston and back. And she was reaching about that as well. 
provided a solution and you're still not happy. No, I, th- I think that's um, pent of frustration. My mum's the same. It's like they're, they're not getting the chance to to get their weekly moans out the way. It's, it's funny you said that, Paul, about the fact that your mother spends half an hour moaning about folk you've never heard of or have any idea who they are. Now. That's exactly what my mother does all the time. And it's incredulous if you've not heard about them. You know? <laughs> anyway, okay, so we talked about the split, and it's not really been a fucking issue this year. Much of, I mean, Paul, I'll go to you first. I mean, do you think the split actually works? What's the pros and cons here? I, I think... I wasn't a fan of it, and I didn't like it when it first came in. But I think it's just became one of the things you accept now. Mm. And by and large, like, although seventh place can finish with more points than yeah. six and stuff, and it's happened, by and large, it's worked out pretty well, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, teams that are going for Europe focus on playing each other or going for the title. Same with relegation. I mean, you do get a few dead rubbers if you're maybe seventh or eighth. Right. Safe. Same with fifth or sixth. But in general, I think it's it's worked pretty well. I, th- I would personally like a much bigger league and, and do away with the split, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. No. I, mean, I just people wouldn't aren't they willing to get that slice of the pie that's right, financial. That's right. I mean Ian, the one thing that used to piss me off about it was no knowing who you were playing, you know, at the end of the season and that. But it's got to be said that, you know, there, it has created a lot of excitement, you know, both top of the league and European place um, and then bottom of the league. I've never really been much of a fan of the split Paul. Mm-hmm. Um we copied it for the Swiss, uh, but the Swiss ditched it about a year and a half after we adopted it because it had pretty much ruined their national side and their domestic setup. Um, it's a it's a thing to say if you're not Celtic or the Rangers, it's a thing to say we'll get into the top six. That means we've achieved something, but that's about Emperor's new clothes. Other than a wee bit of extra television money and my. Derby, uh, what does top six really mean? Aye, I mean, it's interesting, it kind of pushing on for that point, Ian. I mean, Hibs are in a strong position right now to finish third. How much will that mean to Hibs if they actually do finish third? Well, after after the disaster we had with that hecking bottom, it's good to be back at that end of the table again. Um, Finishing third, so it's usually a, a big deal for us as hippies. Uh, also makes you think about some of the silly points we've dropped and maybe yeah. we could have been even better. Yeah. But, um, finishing third's good. Personally, I'd rather I'd rather the team did better against Celtic Hearts and the Rangers. I mean, Paul, the, if I'm correct in saying that the, finishing third this season would mean just one qualifier before the group stage of the Europa. I think it depends on who wins uh, the Scottish Cup. Right. So if the, if the league winners win the Scottish Cup, or sorry, any of the teams in the Champions League, sorry, win the Scottish Cup, I'm pretty sure third place then gets into the Europa playoff. Right. And then if they lose that, they then go into the, the Europa Conference, which is a new one. So basically finishing third... If uh, Rangers or Celtic win the cup, we'd see Hibs in Europe right up till Christmas with, with group games and stuff guaranteed. Exactly. Which that's a massive thing. Like it might not be as as good a tournament or whatever, but it's a it's a massive deal. That would be yeah. something that I mean I think especially if fans come back here and you know Hibs and playing European teams and all that. I mean it's fucking you know been a disaster for a lot of clubs having to play games June July you know to try and get to Europe. And if Hibs could just you know bring in foreign teams to Easter Road in November and that. 
for any Scotch club, you know, uh, would be immense, like, you know. Um, but I so okay, so I, actually, I wasn't even really sure why I'd done that topic, the split, because there's not really much to talk about. <laughs> um, but th this one is uh, this is podcast blogs and careers and it's about fan media in Scotland now it's uh, fan media is kind of changing you know bit by bit it's, it's kind of and I think the, the line's being blurred a bit Paul um, when I first got involved in fan media which would be 11 years ago now the whole point of it was to provide an alternative to the mainstream media now mm -hmm. I feel fan media in a lot of aspects is open <laughs> mainstream media I, I think I think it's trying to mimic it almost like fans as you say fans started out with a, a viewpoint of being offering something different and now I think they, they genuinely see themselves as uh, as the, the, the media mm -hmm. so that they're, they're torn a, I think tech people tend to toe a line that they probably shouldn't be if you're in that area Aye. I think you should be trying to, if you're in fan media in my opinion you should be trying to push boundaries and ask questions and not just sort of accept the status quo well, I mean, that's the kind of thing you do, and is that why you're no Hibs main journalist? <laughs> Fan media is... Oh, you're no doing it with one hand behind your back fear to annoy anybody, are you? Aye. You can say what you think. It's a conversation in the pub, basically, that anybody can tune in. Hey, that's the beauty of Fan media. Like, think back 25, 30 years when... The only the only pundit voice we got was Derek Johnston on Scotsport or Sports Scene, or or the paper fanzines. Um, I say, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, like uh, obviously we've got a fan media show on uh, BBC Scotland. Our view for the terrace. I don't know if you've been able to stomach that, Ian, with the amount of jambos that are on it. <laughs> um, but I mean, I remember listening to the terrace, you know, as a podcast like ten years ago, and it wasn't. The only guy involved with the current setup was Craig Fowler. It was uh, run by a guy called Alan, uh, I can't remember his second name, and Kenny Miller, who's now the comms guy at uh, Easter Road. And, um, you know, that was one of the first times where I was kind of like, this is a wee bit different to, you know, because um, it wasn't like specific to one club. Alan Temple, that's a guy. It was just no specific to one club, Paul. It was mere kind of overlooking Scottish football, albeit they were kind of going they were journalists particularly Kenny and, and Alan um, but we've talked about it Paul you know club media I mean it's getting like fucking North Korea isn't it? <laughs> so some of the some of the stuff that the clubs put it's, it's almost just like they, they're not in touch with the fans at all in my opinion it's almost just like statements it's just statements and it's just PR and they're not really interested in engagement on social media and very few clubs anyway Um and I think that's why you, you do have to sort of look at the fans for alternative, sort of a bit more realistic views. Mm -hmm. like, like Hearts, for instance, we, we won yesterday and they'll, they'll pump out like interviews with Nielsen, like, we're brilliant, March continues, we're all our way back. And that's partly true, but it doesn't ask any questions about performance or anything like that. And, and I think that's where fan media comes into its own. You can have that sort of that conversation. Yeah. I mean, I think as well, like, see, even on Twitter, if, you know, I would look at your Twitter feed or Ian's Twitter feed after Hibs are one drawn all you know because that's what you'll where you'll get an honest opinion Can you know get some filter bullshit you know you'll just get your average, average supporter just go turn around and go that was garbage you know what I mean or yeah. that was fucking brilliant today like you know um, but I mean it's interesting how 
one of the things that Paul talked about last week Ian was that when fans get access to clubs sometimes their ch opinion changes and it starts to toe the party line if you will do you mean like getting co-opted by the establishment as it were <laughs> well pretty much I <laughs> I if you're if you Related to the actual football club you support, then you have to watch. You have to watch what you're saying a lot more because you're affect directly affecting their brand. Aye. You're always better to keep a, a looser association, aren't you? Definitely. You can't. You're right because it can't. I mean, I've seen it happen myself. You can't um, get yourself too close to. Like I've, I've never understood journalists who want to have players as 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 friends when you might have to write about that guy being you know, shite and no good enough or whatever, like, you know. But it's something that, um, you know, and we'll, we'll talk about when we come on to Ian's book as well, that I think that one of the great things about Paul is it's given a platform with different voices, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I've read a couple of books. I've read a book in the last couple of weeks, Two Tribes, written by a guy called Tony Evans about Liverpool in the, in the 80s, Liverpool and Everton. And it's fucking phenomenal, you know what I mean? Because he's a fan himself, but he's into the politics and all that kind of stuff. and you're never going to get that for a club publication, are you? Nah, they'll be too scared. They, as soon as they think politics coming to it, they're too scared <laughs> to update anybody. Um, especially in the current the current uh, day, when you, as soon as you say anything, you've got a hundred folk looking at immediately slaughtering you. Mm -hmm. clubs, aren't willing, clubs aren't willing to take that kind of flack, I think, which is probably why all of their stuff is straight down the line. But I do think... Um, Aye, fan media, I, I do think to a degree it has maybe seen people sort of, as I say, toe the party line a bit more because they maybe want that access. But in general, I think it's still by far the best place for people to be mm. sort of outspoken opinions or, or not be scared to criticise. Just one <laughs> last thing on that, Ian. Uh, are you blocked by Hearts on Twitter? Um, surprisingly not. Uh, a lot of people I know are, but uh, uh, no. I just because they they won the social media award last year, which I found incredible, given the amount of people. And I told said it to the boy. I said, "But you block half the fucking country." And he went, he went mad at me. I said, no. But obviously, I he's, he's he's not big enough to block you, and that's for sure. Um, okay, here's a wee just a wee one here. Soft spots. Now, obviously, I've got a soft spot for you, Paul. It's at the end of my garden. Um, but we're talking about teams you've got a soft spot for, not a second team, not somebody you know. A, you know, Paul, you're an Arsenal supporter as well as being a Jambo, etc. What teams, Paul, have you got a soft spot for? I found this hard because when you asked this question, my initial reaction was nobody. Like, I, I, I dislike everybody that is Typical Jambo <laughs> attitude that year, eh? We fucking hate everybody. Okay? Uh, but I did think about it and, like, I, I've always actually had a wee bit of soft spot for Partick. Oh, I, I think. Well, you, do you realise you've just upset their entire fan base here because they can't stand it being called Partick? Aye, okay, official. <laughs> um, but no, I, I, a wee bit for them because I think anybody that chooses to be a Partick fan, then they've got two massive. No, but they've got two. They've no success very rarely anyway. They've got two massive clubs on their doorstep, and to to take take that route and follow them, I think is quite uh, quite good for for a lot of the fans. And I think it's as well they've never really been a threat, but they're always it's always a decent away day and stuff like that. And their fans have always been pretty. Pretty sound. Um, so I have always had a wee bit of a soft spot for them, um, and I thought, like I thought, in the summer and stuff as well, they were a bit hard done by as well. Oh right, yeah, you're so like, uh, the <laughs> fucking nonsense. And you're obviously just go for you for the banter, surely. Aye, uh, exactly. But anybody, anybody else? 
Uh, no, I, I quite like seeing Edinburgh City do well purely the fact that it's a an Edinburgh club, and I, I find them quite inoffensive. So you could see them. Hibs, you watch the game, you'll be like, I know, enough. I'm not interested uh, in uh, seeing Hibs do well. Okay, Ian, what about yourself? Any soft spots there? Well, my, if I, I don't class myself as having an English team, but yeah. it would be Everton. But yeah. um, quite like Stony Burn. Old man's for Stony Burn, and right. the first actual football match I ever went to was Stony Burn against East Kilbride in 1985. Wow. Um, so I've always liked to see them doing well if I see it in the paper or you know on the radio. Quite like St Pauli because of what they've done with the politics and the fan involvement and the proving that there is another way for football. Aye, absolutely. Uh, and I always had a wee. I always quite liked what Crew Alexandra were doing, mm-hmm. uh, football-wise. They right. had that conveyor belt of brilliant youth players. They had the same manager for ages who, who was just allowed to do his job. And they produced, like, say, well, they made their careers of guys like David Platt and Neil Lennon, and they're a wee team, but they always quite liked mm-hmm. the railway men. Well, actually, Ian there, Paul, just mentioned two of my soft spots. Everton, is, is their team have always had a soft spot for San Domingo and all that. I think the, I don't know if you've seen it, the Howard's Way documentary. Um, is I've never seen the it. best football documentaries oh. I've ever seen in my life. It just, you know, it's a, you got a group of guys that are just at the right place at the right time, you know, and everything, they're like ready to fucking go and probably dominate Europe. And then, of course, Heisel happens and they get punished for a game that they never even played, you know. Um, St Pauli again like Ian said for the reasons that Ian said Salford City simply for the Happy Monday Sean Ryder connection Sean continually tells people Mondays are not a Manchester band they're a Salford band and if I had one in Scotland that had a tiny spot, spot, soft spot for it's Dundee United and the reason for that is it's a good deal pubs around it the, the action's right next to you on the pitch and I've always found their fans to be pretty reasonable people like you know what I mean um, there was never any of the, the bullshit there so um, and also just with their, their kind of run especially in 87 you know I was kind of encapsulated in that kind of thing so aye so Paul who's uh, Ian's um, just named his first game so we'll go to Ian first the first game you ever attended he said it was Stony Burn in a 19 I mean, didn't look old enough thanks uh-huh. it was in, the, the game was played in West Calder uh-huh. and I remember my dad was quite excited about taking me along to it and we went along and although it was juniors it was some sort of cup match and they had like a snack stand on and that and we watched the game and it was now now (laughs) (laughs) and don't know how the replay went but it was good but and then after that his first proper football match like professional was the Hibs Chelsea friendly at Easter Road in 1986 oh I I'm pr- I'm sure the old scoreboard at Easter Road was still up when we played that friendly, mm-hmm. and we actually scalped them four one. Uh, Willie Irvin got a hat trick. Paul Kane scored one, and Joe McLaughlin scored for them. Mm-hmm. And beating Chelsea four one nowadays that almost sounds surreal, eh? like starting out a dream. Ah, uh, it was funny enough. I-, I was at that game, and I'll tell you why. Um, it was in, obviously you said in the summer eighty uh, six. And Paul, you remember the old police schemes that used to go around in Europe kind of for the summer. Yeah. And basically what was happening in Edinburgh at that time was every young thug in Edinburgh wanted to go to fight Chelsea, right? 
and this was the whole buzz gone round the whole city and the common fucking theme was Hibs will batter them off the pitch but Chelsea will win at football um, now I went to the game and all the rest of the squad i never seen a Chelsea fan right and Hibs absolutely battered them 4-1 which shocked all the guys like but um Aye, Christ, now, that was the talk the whole summer. That's all anybody was talking about. I think people were genuinely expecting Chelsea to bring about 50,000 people up <laughs> to ransack Edinburgh. We were going to defend it to the hilt, like, you know. Um, what about yourself, Paul? I know you've got a tailie war about your first game. Uh, my, my first game was a, a defeat, shock horror, um, uh, 1989 yeah. at Tynecastle. So I was, only, I was only like three. I, when I was looking back at this, I was expecting to myself to be about like five or something like mm. that. But I believe my my mum had to work, Aye. and my brother and this refused against, to. No- this is Hearts against Dunfermline. Aye, so it's Hearts versus Dunfermline, and then my, my mum had to work, mm-hmm. and my brother refused to no go to the game, so I got yeah. dragged along. Yeah. So I, I thought they were doing something noble and taking me to my first game, and I think it was just because I was an Aye. inconvenience. Uh, we lost two one. Um, Ross Jack and Paul Smith scored for them, mm-hmm. and Husrev Mus- Husrev Musumic scored for Hearts. So. Um, <laughs> All I remember about it was I, I remember going in and absolutely like being so excited and I didn't remember much about the game, but we lost and I basically got the blame for being a jinx. Well, actually, aye, because at that time your mother was working and your your father worked uh, offshore, so there was need to look after you. I was at Celtic were playing Hibs that night actually, and the next game day, you know, I went over to his house to find out you know how he enjoyed it. Bear in mind, he's only three, coming on four year old. And before it, so I said, well, how did it, how'd you go in last night? And before he could open his mouth, his brother said to him, he's not coming back, he's a fucking jinx. And he just burst into tears. <laughs> he was literally, ah, you know. And I think um, he stuck to it, never took me again for ages. And then the second game was a defeat as well. So it was even further between that, the second and my third. I can remember, I remember it well actually. Hearts had a poor start to the season that year, so I don't. Yeah. I think we actually done alright that season in general, but I'd Later start. Oh no! But at the start, we 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 beat you twice in the space of about two weeks and stuff like that. And, uh, anyway, my first game. Now I thought my first game there was a bit of conjecture about this, right? Because I always thought my first game was at Kilmarnock uh, in a Scottish Cup replay where we got beat. But when I asked my mum about it, she said, "Oh no, you're all man took you before that." And this was like in 1978, but I can't remember it. She said I went to the first game as well, which was a draw at Celtic Park. The first game I actually remember fully being in vivid memory was a game at Rugby Park in 1980, um, where we scored. Bobby Lennox equalised for Celtic in the last five minutes, and it created a riot. And I remember people were all fighting on the terrace because at Rugby Park um, you could sort of go right round the whole thing, apart from the main stand. But, um, so that was that. And then on to, um, I mean, it was great though. I still, can you, I mean, the images when you first go and the floodlights, that's fucking phenomenal. Mm-hmm. You didn't really get that now. Um, and on to the first, people, the two people I've taken to the first game, both my sons were both three year old um, at different occasions. My son Jake was uh, Ross County 2012, which was the first game of that season where the Huns were no more. And uh, it was a five o'clock kickoff or something. I think Stokes scored the winner for us that day. And, James, my eldest son's first game was Henrik Larson's last game uh, against Seville because I just wanted to take him. I had this whole thing in my head, right? He, he was only three at the time, obviously. I'll take him, and uh, so he'll be able to say when he gets older that he's seen Henrik Larson play for Celtic, right? His last game. That's just my noble gesture. I swear to God, after 10 minutes, I was going to strangle him. He was <laughs> fucking climbing over the chairs and fucking what he did this and what he did. He was full strip, you know, and all that kind of thing because I was going to. Oh, 
Foxy, you know, it was a nightmare. But that was that. What about yourself, Ian? You ever taken anybody to their first game? I um, been like growing up in Livingston and being a young man in Livingston, there was a lot of people who didn't go to the football. Uh -huh. I ended up going with took my mate, my mate Graham to his first game, and that was the Videoton UEFA Cup match at oh, Easter Road in 1989. Uh -huh. uh, my, another mate, Ozzy, who, who actually supported Celtic, but had never... Up draw with us in 1997 at Easter Road, Aye. and he said, well, we were absolutely mental. <laughs> and another one of the other mates... Hadn't been to a football match before, so I, I took him to see us four in Hibs Middlesbrough friendly in 1999. Sure, we only went so we could uh, have a laugh and a joke at Gaza. <laughs> oh, fuck I, of course. What about yourself, Paul? Have you ever spent any money to take anybody anywhere? <laughs> well, I've never taken somebody on, like, on my own, but I've been at like two of my nephew's first games. Like, I went with my brother and, and them. Um, uh, my nephew, Callum, was a uh, and away defeated him for one, so he's fallen in my footsteps oh, a bit. Uh, but he was only about four. Mm -hmm. I think Barry Nicholson scored, or, or hearts were shite. But um, I, I, the only thing I remember about it is he fell down the stairs. Like, right, do you know, it was quite steep at, aye, at, aye. Uh, in the end. He was swinging on like the barriers, and he swung himself right round, and the stair was wet, and his feet came away behind him. And he went all the way down to the bottom at the gate, <laughs> at the entrance. And everybody was like, oh my God, I think everybody thought it was deep. And he just bounced back up and ran up the stairs. So uh, it was a bit of relief, so I thought I was going to have to take him back to his mum with fucking missing an arm or something like that. <laughs> the mother nephew, Angus, was a, a game against Annan. I think it was a link cup or something like that. Uh, we won 3-1. And it was that exciting that he fell asleep after about 20 minutes and woke up at the uh, full time. So. <laughs> He's probably talking to his father. That's probably <laughs> more likely. All right, well, let's get, let's get the, the main thrust of this ball now. I would just say, Paul, you know, try and control yourself here when we're talking to Ian about Hibs because we know how much you dislike them. And you will have, I know you've got some questions and so on and so forth. But Ian, new book, The Hibs Are Here, added to your canon. March 29th, it's coming out. Uh, it's your 12th book. And once again, there's been a wee bit of collaboration with Bobby Sinnott. Uh, first of all, I wanted to ask you, because I've never done it myself, how, how does that work when you're collaborating with somebody? On one book. Uh, well, Bobby's a brilliant Hibs historian, top statistician, and a great writer and a good friend. And he, what we done together first was Hibs on this day in 2014. Uh -huh. It was just after Hibs had been relegated, and we never done it to make money or anything like that. We just thought the fans need a morale boost after this cataclysmic shock that we've just went right. through. And all we done was divide up. Bobby done 1875 to 1960 and I done 1960 onwards mm -hmm. and then read each other's but afterwards uh, collaborating with somebody's good sometimes because you, they see things that you don't mm -hmm. aye that's true aye aye and then with the last two Hibs books Bobby's done my done my foreword mm -hmm. and then on Oblivion to Hamden and I let Bobby do the chapter about straighten because I wasn't living in Edinburgh 
yeah. at the time of the first straightened debate, I only saw evening news articles. I didn't know that much about it, even going back and looking at, at things in archives. Um, Bobby did. So it's brilliant to have Bobby on board with a book again. And I've also got Matthew Kane back, who's wrote the chapter about Anderlecht, about the away trip to Anderlecht. That's fascinating too, because it tells you European away trips with no mobile phones, no cheap flights and stuff like that. A bit, more, a bit of a different adventure. Um, but I working with working with somebody's two heads are better than one. Although I've I've wrote the I've wrote the bulk here. Well, I mean, obviously I've spoken to you before about your writing process, and you're very much like me, where you can just write and write and write and write. Um, how long did it actually take you to do this book? I'd started to write the follow-up to Oblivion to Hamden quite soon after Oblivion to Hamden came out, and I stopped at about two thousand words because I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to write a book a period in which there was no major trophy win because yeah. there wasn't much to build the book around. Then lockdown happened last year and to stop myself from cracking up, I, I, started, I, I started to write. And when I started to write, I got the old, if you like, I got the scent back because I hadn't really written much for five years. I got the scent back and it consumed me utterly. Um, I've, I've been, it's been suggested that the way I write is actually a form of dealing with like depression or PTSD, the staying at the staying at the keyboard for eight, ten hours non-stop Aye. and then feeling burnt out after it. Aye. But it works. I never couldn't be, I couldn't do a two-hour-a-day slot. That's just no, no how. I, I hear that, you know what Ian, I hear that so often for writers, they'll say they get up, they, do that, they go and write for two hours and then they go and do their day and I think, well, what, why not just keep writing, if that's what you've got to do, you know, um, and I'd say, like Paul, I mean, I've read from a living to Hamden, fantastic, it sort of reminds me of, you know, you have memories of that era and then this book comes along and kind of fills in the blanks, you know, and you go, fuck, I remember that now, and I mean, you know, that kind of thing, and I mean, it's incredible. I mean, obviously, we're talking about now. You mentioned it earlier, ninety-two, ninety-nine. There was the large part of that was sort first part of that big pardon was consumed by this run against Hearts, which also ended in nineteen ninety-four. A day I remember well, because we won at Ibrox two 0 that day, and we were all going mental. We come out, and this is in the days where the games were played at the same time, and somebody just said, "Oh, by the way, Hibs won one 0 at Tynecastle," and we were like, "You're fucking beauty, Fenian double, let's go." Uh, but what what's it like looking back on that kind of run? And I'll bring Paul in after that. When you you know you're now fucking twenty five years away from it, does it is the pain still there? Yet? I mean, can you still remember the psychological aspect of it? I um the at the time as a as a as a like teenager, you're getting banter at school because of it. You're getting uh, banter. Of people in your scheme, mm-hmm. and it, it becomes when everyone's talking about the football from the weekend all week. Yeah, it becomes really annoying. I look back at it now and think, why did that bother us so much? Mm. We just didn't win in a certain fixture for five years. Um, but at the time, it was after, especially after that cup game, the Wayne Foster game. Oh, aye. 
Like that was that was going home in silence oh. with my, my mate and his dad, not saying a word to each other, just oh. in shock and kind of staying in shock till the August. It's, oh. uh, and I look back and I think, how could I have got that upset? And I, I'm sure a lot of fans, are, I'm sure a lot of Hibs fans feel that way as well. Oh. It didn't help that the me. They start going on about that run until season 92-93. They gave us the wee bit of grace after we won the Skull Cup and then everything was about Hibs having beat Hearts. They never talked about how Hearts had, hadn't won anything for nearly 40 years. Mm-hmm. And they made they built up that run and they, they and then it was. Um, it was sweet when we ended that We were unlucky in about four or five of the games, but Hearts by and large, had the, they had the measure of us, and to some extent, since they got promoted in 1983, they have had the measure of us. It's funny you mention that, and I'll come on to you next, Paul. Um, I watched that game, that cup game in the Gunner, in, in Muir House, in the lounge, and it was a fucking 99% Hibs fans, and when Foster scored the winning goal that day, it was like somebody had thrown a grenade into the pub. It was boom, uh, you just couldn't believe it, like, you know? But Paul, obviously you're coming for the other side of the fence, um, and as much as I mean that that's kind of that run still dominates Hearts fans' songs and and, and banter, doesn't it? That's still it was a big end of the day. It's it's something that I think, as Ian said, it annoyed them. So so it's, if it annoys them, it's almost like sing the song to get a reaction. Most fans now, or a lot of generation now. And we didn't even got to the games back then. No, you know? I mean, even the ones singing the songs probably weren't got to the games. Like I'm 35, and I only started going to derbies at the tail end of that run. Mm. And um, oh, but obviously we enjoyed it and milked it for what it's worth, as as you would. But I think um, I've actually spoke to a few fans about it that say that it almost became a bit of a, a relief when we lost. Yeah. No, enjoyed it. Clearly wanted to keep it going, but the derby solely became about no losing rather than actually trying to win the game. Aye. It's, that's I, I think that's a really great point and that's kind of what um, you know when you support somebody like Celtic and, and they're playing well it does become every game every wins a relief and every loss is an absolute catastrophe and it becomes a wee bit like you know you kind of want that journey again where you know teams like Hibs Hibs well, well, have they won something for so long win something and they fucking go ballistic like you know but obviously this is going to contain the end of the Alec Miller reign Ian which again causes a lot of consternation among Hibs fans I mean you kind of look on Alec Miller as maybe a, a shining light than some other fans do I do now, I didn't when he was the manager, mm-hmm. I was at best indifferent um, but now looking back and seeing I, but I remember in your youth fondly's part can partly influence how you see a certain period in your team's history right. it's like the music, every generation's music was the best Aye. and it's it's the same for football um, always respected Alec Miller but after writing about him and researching and also doing a bit of reminiscing I found certain things he increased the crowds he made us better and he never signed a bad football player not one they all had something to offer it didn't work out for some of them mm-hmm. but there were no, he never signed any hoodies and I couldn't just end the book at the end of Alex's time at Hibs though because that's an unfinished story 
couldn't end it at the end of Jockey Scott because that's unfinished. Ending it at the end of Jim Duffy's time in charge wouldn't really have been a happy ending. So I took it right up to the best place you can for Hibs in the 90s, and that's uh, 19th of December 1999, uh, smashing Hearts 3-0 at Pinkcastle. Which I'm sure, were you at that game, Paul? I was, I was fucking talking. So. We'll come <laughs> on to that game, right? But before we come on to that game, Ian, what obviously Hibs were relegated in this period, and that makes that victory even more special, I guess. What was it like writing about? Hibs relegation um, from back then um, was able to go it brought back personal memories could you remember what you were doing that day and when you went through Edinburgh and who you were talking to on the train or the bus back, how drunk you were who you, who you go off with all this kind of stuff but then I was able to cast a, a, a less biased analytic eye over how Hibs were that season that we got relegated. Mm-hmm. And a lot of folk forget, see for eight, nine weeks, that Jim Duffy team was magnificent. Even Eddie Turnbull said that we mm-hmm. play. Pat McGinley and Chick Charnley running about like two best mates and a summer kickabout in midfield, untouchable. You had Jimmy Boko spraying out passes for the back. You had uh, the next generation of strikers, Stevie Crawford and Lavetti, doing all right at the start of the season. And it was brilliant. It didn't last very long, but it was, it was brilliant after... We'd, you always have problems at a team when a manager leaves after a decade in charge. Look at Arsenal, Man United. There's always an issue with the transitional period. Jim Duffy tried to build a brilliant team and it it just it worked for a while but it didn't work out. And I interviewed Jim for the book, he's a great guy. He put his hands up to the relegation, he said it was his fault. But I've made the point in the book like all it done was made made us play in a different division for a year and then we came back even stronger. So was for that period. Nay Well, I've just got to come on to that. I mean, obviously, you thought about that Millennium Derby, which I remember. I mean, that was essentially Frank Sozzi running amok at Tynecastle, eh? Well, aye. Um, that was the best perform- performance at Tynecastle since the 7 0 in 73. Mm-hmm. There might have been one other one in the mid 70s as well, but nevertheless, it was the best performance at Tynecastle in a generation, and we haven't played that well at Tynecastle again since. No, I was just I was just going to say about that is like that's what sticks out for me is like Hibs were so dominant that day and Aye. you've won derbies obviously at Tynecastle but never came close to sort of being that that one sided and 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 getting us a, a proper doing at the time and I, I, it was a a hard one to take because for most of my growing up I'd been used to sort of winning these games <laughs> and then McLeish seemed to have our number it's about the only spell like solid spell where I was like didn't look forward to the derbies. Because they obviously had the six-two game as well, which was obviously a bit after after the Millennium one. But uh, I Hibs Hibs had a number for that period, and and Sozzi was fucking incredible. Like, like, like as, even as a Hearts fan, you want to dislike the guy, but he was just a quality football player. It was okay. Hats off to him. The Hibs are here is out in March twenty nine. Just a couple of more questions, Ian. Um, first of all, what are you going to do next? Um, next I was. If I'm going to write anything, I might do something non-football again. Mm-hmm. Then again, people seem to like these football ones, so there's and I 
a couple of things I'm thinking about then. One's true life stories set set in the party culture in the late nineties, mm-hmm. early noughties. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might go back to military history though, because I like what I like about that is when I write military history books, nobody reads them, so I don't get any hassle. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, and the final thing, Ian, I wanted to ask you, um, read in a few places that your favourite ever Hibs player is Darren Jackson. Aye. Despite, I despite nowadays, Sorry? Despite him going to Hertz. That never bothered. That never bothered me. It did at the time when he was there. A player come to Hibs and improve so much. Quite, if you remember when Jackson came to Hibs, he mm-hmm. was what twenty six. He was quite skinny. He was a proven, proven good striker, but he was always getting booth, getting caught offside, talking back to the referees. And then uh, John Collins helped him discover the weights bench around about nineteen ninety four, ninety five, sure. and he just he became Superman esque, and they ended up playing playing for Scotland in the World Cup later. Uh, Jackson was. The way he could lift the team as well. It wasn't just what he did with the ball. He was the heart, the beating heart of that nineties Hibs team. And well, no doubt, doubtful. We'll see his like again in the green jersey. And when I interviewed him for the book, he said he was proud to have, he was proud to have played for the Hibs. His dad was a jambo. Aye. He was proud to have played for the Hibs, and he spoke really fondly of his time. Uh, he's a guy that took like um, when he signed for Hearts like a lot of fans just wouldn't take to him at all no matter what he'd done purely because of the Hibs connections but he'd done us a real he was come obviously coming towards the end of his career but he'd done us a real turn because we were we were struggling oh, against he, the allegation he came to us up eh? really. Aye, well, him and Cameron coming back for injury but it was like tandem he really he really done well for us and he, he scored <laughs> I was surprised when he scored against Hibs that he actually went mental because I thought we'd get I thought we'd get like a quite muted celebration. He went absolutely bananas and then we lost the game, so he ended up looking like a funny. <laughs> <laughs> that was some goal. That was a raker, eh? He's actually, I mean, I've met him a few times and he's absolutely nothing like his public persona whatsoever, eh? Um, I don't know if you remember the game, Ian, when he scored at Celtic Park and he'd done that, like a phone celebration. And I asked him about that because it felt like he was staring right at me <laughs> when he equalised it with a pure draw. And it was actually, it was just at the start of the mobile phones, I think it was 96. And um, he told that was him saying that his brother-in-law had stole his mobile phone for a laugh, and his brother-in-law was a Celtic supporter, and that was him basically doing that to him. <laughs> Sorry, do you remember when he went and go at Celtic Park? I do, aye. Uh, it was a bizarre. Jim Leighton went off and then back on, and then they would, it was a whole thing with the referee when they let Leighton on for some fucking reason. Or um, I think that was like February '96 or whatever. But um, Leighton came back on, and uh, Jackson, he, he had some one up. And then Jackson let in an equaliser because he come out and tried to dive for a fucking ball and missed it. But it was late and come back on and then we scored the equaliser. But, but anyway, that's us almost out of time. Uh, so uh, thank Ian for his time. Uh, the book, The Hibs Are Here, is out on March 29th, all bookstores and all the rest of it. I want to thank Paul for no smashing his computer up and talking about Hibs um, <laughs> and keeping his bias towards him. And I shall bid you a, a farewell and hopefully he's a, a happy Mother's Day. Um, it's a strange Mother's Day but all the best and we'll be back with our usual spot next Sunday at half past six you'll get us at Fitbother on Twitter check us out posting some great photos and I need to do one bit of housekeeping 
because Ian, I don't know if you noticed this, on Friday we had a theme to our photographs, which was characters and good players signing for Scottish clubs. So we had George Best signing for Hibs, Pat Stanton for Celtic, Justin Fashnew for Hearts, and just before I went to my bed on Friday, I put Roy Keane signs for Celtic, which quite a few people thought that meant he was the new Celtic manager. <laughs> so I can assure people that it is the okay. But anyway, thanks for your time. We will please out. Thank you.